have something to write with, they want to get it out. Uh, very rarely give you lists, but this morning I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a list. And um, before we get to it, uh, hope you had a merry Christmas. I hope you had a Christmas that uh, caused you to remember the prophet that was said to come in the in the likeness of Moses, as we talked about last week. A couple weeks back, however, uh, your elders stood here before you and they shared essentially their heart for our church, our collective church uh, for 2009. I hope that was enlightening to you. I hope that was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. Today, uh, on this last Sunday of 2008, I want to give you uh, what my heart is for our church in 2009. And um, I'm going to do that uh, in a way that I don't normally do it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a list. Rusty, go ahead and put the title up here. Seven Sure Steps Towards Success in 2009. Seriously. And uh, many of you are already chuckling for a number of reasons. That is comical for at least five or six reasons. One, uh, we'll just start with the fact that it says seven, uh, as if because there are seven, it is a divine, you know, word from God because there's a perfect number of seven. So it's funny for at least that. Uh, the fact that they're sure uh, as if I have heard directly from God and that I didn't miss anything. Right. And God's probably sitting in heaven right now saying, but you missed it completely. Right. And so the fact that it's sure that's, you know, questionable uh, success. Anytime we mention success uh, from from this platform, it probably is in some sort of mocking way, and so you're probably chuckling that that's included there. Uh, but seriously, um, and the fact that I used all those S's, that's at least impressive to, to some degree. Um, and that never happens, but uh, enjoy it. Uh, that That's not probably going to happen anytime soon again. Um, let me give you a few a few qualifying statements to keep in mind before we jump into these seven things, okay? Uh, because I need, I need to give you these before we ever get into the list. Number one, whenever we speak of success, and, and I, I joke earlier in saying that most of the time we mock uh, the idea of success in the church, um, whenever we speak of success here at Cornerstone, please understand that we, we always are talking about success in God's eyes. And that, you understand, is completely different than being successful in the eyes of the world. Okay? And so this is included here, uh, but please understand that our ambition is not for being successful uh, by any measurement of man. It's to be successful in God's eyes. So you've got to understand that. We long for God's attention. We've said this from the very first day when we first started meeting as a small group of friends and neighbors uh, on Sunday nights, on every other Sunday night in West Jackson Intermediate School, one of the first things I ever said is that this this whole deal, this ministry is going to be uh, based, one of the pillars that it's going to be based on is that we're here to get God's attention, not to get man's attention. So, so I just needed to say that before we get into these seven sure steps towards success. Number two, primarily I need to say success is, is God's business, frankly. It's not ours. When we talk about being successful, that this ministry is successful, Please know that I understand, I'm fully aware that the onus, the responsibility for the success of this ministry is not primarily upon us, it is upon God and his divine providence for what he, what he would have us do in a, as a part of his kingdom. Okay, 
our attention, our hearts and our minds, our focus ought to be on obedience primarily. Okay, but we have some part in this success. But I just needed you to understand that, that I get the fact that success is primarily God's business. So keep that in mind. Number three, and this may be uh, the most important or at least the one that I want you to carry through all seven of these. And I want you to end up with at the end of this this whole message. I don't want you to lose this one. Here it is. It's that the overarching emphasis of the following list. All right. The overarching emphasis of this following list is, um, in essence, a shift of ownership. It is going to be a shift in ownership. And let me explain what I, what I mean by that. We, uh, the leadership here, uh, and I'll just primarily speak about myself, okay? And, and I'm not doing this in any prideful way. You're going to see, I hope, that by the time I'm done uh, with this caveat in particular. Uh, about four years ago, I started down this journey of beginning this thing, this ministry that would be Cornerstone. And I'll confess to you, uh, I have, ever since I left my former church in these past four years uh, leading up to where we are right now, uh, I have felt this overwhelming um, burden for Again, I'll use the word success, but for the success of this ministry, that this ministry would make it, uh, I felt a tremendous burden about that. Again, I understand that it's God's, it's God's responsibility. It's on God. It's up to God. Uh, I really, I really have little to do with the success of this ministry, but please understand as, as the one who stepped out to, to start this new thing, uh, for the last four years, I, I felt a weight of responsibility to some degree or another. Um, on my shoulders for the success of this ministry. Whether or not it would make it, whether or not there would be a cornerstone in 2008, in 2007, and back to the beginning. Um, that, that changes today. That changes today. Our leadership, uh, not just myself, but our elders and the rest of our staff, our pastoral staff, our leadership is going to continue to lead. We're going to continue to care. We're going to continue to coach. We're going to continue to train. Uh, we're going to continue to encourage and equip and challenge and care for and pick up and bandage and clean off when members fall down. Uh, we're going to continue to guard the priorities. We're going to continue to evaluate ministries and evaluate the systems of this ministry, et cetera. We're going to keep doing all that. And hopefully, and our commitment to you is that we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do a better job at that, okay? Um, but in 2009, um, the ministry is officially yours, meaning the body. Those of you who call Cornerstone home, that this is your place in ministry, uh, Cornerstone is officially yours. And let me, let me say this. Um, this isn't me trying to get rid of the burden. Uh, I'll confess to you that one of my weaknesses is delegation. I would much rather keep the burden on me. I would much rather take care of the details myself. I would much rather be the responsible party, okay? Because at least I know who to yell at when it falls through. So this isn't me trying to pass the buck. Uh, with all my heart, I stand before you today. I feel, I feel led by the Lord to say to you, and I don't exactly know what it looks like. I don't exactly know what it means. I don't exactly know how it's going to be fleshed out for you individually as members, those who call Cornerstone home. But here's the deal. Uh, 
I feel a release coming for me personally and for our leadership for this burden of the success. Will this ministry make it? Okay? And that burden, I feel led to tell you, must now be picked up collectively by you as individuals, as a congregation. Recently, Preston and I were discussing uh, our thoughts on where our church is, and, and we do this often, but one of, the, one of the pictures that we got, that we both got in our heads, has stuck with me. It was the picture um, of a train, and we, we uh, equated our church to a train that at this point in time in, in, in the history, in the ministry of our church, it's a train that is now on the tracks, is what we said. We feel like, we feel like our church is, is on the tracks, okay? Um, a lot went into getting our church on the tracks, but we feel like right now the train is on the tracks, and that initial, that initial start, that initial prompt, you know, that, that, that initial bump that it takes to get a train going on the tracks, we feel like that has happened, and, our, and this train is, is moving, and it's moving in the right direction, Okay? Um, to go a little further, it seems to us that it's time that we shift up a gear. It's time that we shift up a gear. And um, that cornerstone is uh, is not solely... Uh, the responsibility of those of us who stand here or those of us who meet once a month as elders. Uh, I feel led to tell you that the onus, the responsibility, is now on on us collectively. And I hope that, ex- I hope that excites you, okay? I hope that excites you. That this list I'm about to give you, it's a list uh, so that we have a successful shift in the ownership of, of this thing called Cornerstone Church. All right? So those, those are my caveats. Those are my caveats. You might, you might be thinking now, okay, how exactly do I fit into that? How exactly am I going to be part of that? I'm glad you asked. This is where the seven sure steps towards, notice I put not to success or seven sure steps of success, but this is, this is a process. It's a continual process. These will be steps towards the success of our church in 2009. Okay? So let's... Start with number seven. These aren't exactly in an order of importance, but we're going to go from seven down because number one is at least a culmination of the other six or a summarization of the other six. Number seven, here's the first one I want to give you. In 2009, we need to become, number seven, conscious of our weaknesses. Conscious of our weaknesses. If if there's going to be a shift in ownership, if you're going to take up the responsibility of your church. Number seven, we need to become conscious of our weaknesses. A few weeks back, uh, towards the end of the book of Ezra, as we were tracking through the book of Ezra, we talked about sin and confession and repentance and dealing with sin in the camp. We talked about the importance of that. Let me say that that's not primarily my emphasis when I talk about our weaknesses here in this number seven. My primary Emphasis here is that we um, we draw a new and a fresh attention in an honest and healthy way 
towards evaluating our personal, let's call them challenge areas. Okay? So I'm not talking about the outright sins that you know you need to get rid of. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. Those things need to be dealt with. But my point here, this, this number seven, this consciousness, this awareness of our weaknesses, what I'm trying to pinpoint is uh, those things that God might like to reveal to you as he has done uh, somewhat uncomfortably in my life over the last six months. Okay? Those challenge areas, those areas that we are, uh, if you will, spiritually challenged. We need to work it out a little more. We're weak in those areas. Uh, for me, um, they are, as I said, not outright sin areas, although I have those areas to deal with. But what I'm speaking about here are those, those, those things, those attitudes, those activities in my life, those words that come out of my mouth, the, the looks on my face, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you can add your own weaknesses in there. But those things that don't exactly look like Christ, those weaknesses, those those shortcomings, for those of us who are who are struggling to be more Christ-like, my challenge to you is that in 2009, as you take ownership of this church, that you are conscious of your weaknesses, that you sit down, you pray, and you listen, and you wait if you have to for weeks, months if you have to, ever aware of where the Spirit might pinpoint something in your life that, that, is not, that is not like Christ. And I've got a few, frankly, that I'm dealing with right now that, um, again, aren't outright sinful. But as I begin to compare myself in these areas that the Holy Spirit's pinpointing, as I begin to pin, uh, compare myself to Christ, I guess in some sense... They become sin to me. So we have to be become conscious of our weaknesses. Now, not for the sake of acceptance. Let me say that. This isn't for the sake of your acceptance in Christ. It has more to do with your effectiveness in Christ. All right, number six. In 2009, we need an improved competency in our walk with Christ. We need an improved competency in our walk with Christ. Webster says that someone who is competent, listen to this, is sufficient, adequate, qualified, suitable. We, knew the, we know this word, competent, in the business world where we work for someone. They want to know, are we competent in our job? Are we competent in what we do? Um, Number six is here because I feel led to tell you that as you take ownership of this church, uh, we as individuals, so that collectively we as a church, we, we've got to step it up. Or put another way, we've got to take another step, the next step in our walk with Christ. In this area of competency. Competency in the word, competency in prayer, competency in, in um Evangelism, competency in our wise counsel to brethren. Folks, we've got to take a step in our relationship with Christ in 2009. If you look back in your relationship with Christ in 2008, if you go back to January of 2008, and now we sit in December of 2008, if you look back in your life spiritually, it's no different than it was in January 
then you've not taken any step in your walk with Christ. And I'm here to tell you this morning, as we collectively, as individuals, grab hold of this this ownership of our church, of this ministry, we've got to find ways to take the next step in our walk with Christ. Listen, in December of 2009, if we look back over the year, and we've not moved forward in the Word, in our competency in handling Scripture, in our competency in prayer, in our competency in uh, in evangelism, etc., in dealing with the body of Christ, if we've not gotten better, folks, then we become less effective. Number five. In 2009, uh, I'm praying we become creative in our work. I'm praying we become creative in our work. Let me explain this um, very simply. Here's what this means. Don't wait on me or one of our other leaders to tell you what your place is in the work of the kingdom. Okay? Your relationship with Christ is personal. Take the time, find the opportunity to listen to what the Spirit has to say to you as to what your part is in the kingdom. Frankly, I I have to hold myself back from assigning you duties because of this. Okay? I'm praying for you as individuals, for us as individuals, that we become more creative in our work for the kingdom. That we, we start thinking of ways ourselves that we don't have to be asked to serve this way or serve that way, but by examining your giftedness, by understanding how God has wired you, the passions that he has instilled in you, that you would start to say, God, where would you have me fit into what you're doing in your overall kingdom? What, what can I do? And that we don't sit and wait for someone to come and give us a job. Frankly, I, I resist wholeheartedly assigning duties around here because here's what i know it doesn't last long okay professionally speaking it it doesn't hold any water i could talk one of you into doing this or doing that or serving in this way or serving in that way i could cheer you up i could coach you up i could get you equipped etc i could talk you into it frankly and you might do it and you might kind of enjoy it etc but it's not going to last as long as it would as if someone comes to me and says, listen, Daryl, I've been praying on how God wants to use me, and I've been, I've, been, I've been praying through my gifts and how God's wired me and what passions I naturally have, etc. And you know what? I would just really love if I could be used in this sort of way. Is there, do you know of any way that I could be used this way? You know what? Uh, I, I rejoice when that happens. When people come to me and say, listen, I just have a passion for this, or I just feel led to do this, I say, Amen. Why? Because I'm not twisting any arms. And you know what? That will last. That ministry will last. We need, we need to begin being more creative ourselves. We've got to be ambitious in our, in our seeking what God would have us do as our part in the kingdom. I'm patiently waiting on God to prompt you. To creatively act in obedience. Let me just tell you, there, there are a handful, if not a dozen, um, different ministries that I would like to see our church be involved in 
uh, as soon as possible, frankly. And I'm not even going to give you the list of them. I was going to give you some examples, but I'm not even going to give you a list of them right now because I so want you to listen to the Spirit of God moving in your heart, be prompted by God to do this or to do that, instead of me saying, hey, you know what? This would be a great idea. I'd love our church to be involved in this. And from time to time, that may happen. But you know what? I am intentionally resisting some of those things because I know... I know some things about you, uh, that you're pretty willing people. You're pretty good people. And if I say, you know what, we need to start a homeless ministry downtown Jefferson, somebody would find it in them and they'd make some time and they would sacrifice some stuff over here and they would make it happen, but that's not going to last. My prayer is that God would move in the midst of his people and he would, he would creatively spark in your hearts and minds new ministries, new extensions of what he wants to do through Cornerstone. Um, let me give you a little caveat here. Can I give a caveat at the end, Preston? Or does it have a caveat at the beginning? Anyway, I don't care. Uh, let me give you a little caveat here. Uh, this does not mean that if you come to one of us and say, you know what, uh, I've been praying about this and I feel, I feel led by the Lord that our church needs to start a ministry that does this, that you can just leave it at that. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you come to me and you say, Daryl, you know what? I feel led that our church should really have this ministry, that we should be doing this. There's a great need for this. Our church really should consider doing this. My response is going to be something like this. That's great. That is, that's awesome. That's wonderful. How are you going to pull it off? Emphasis on you. Because here, here's, the, here's the point of the caveat. Um, we don't need people coming and giving us more ideas. I've got a million ideas. Understand what I'm saying here is I'm praying that God prompt your creative spirit and grant you a passion that comes from within that says, you know what, I've got to do this. And I'll work however I need to, to plan it, to make it happen, etc. Don't come with, a, with an idea and not be willing to work out the plan. That makes sense? All right. Number four, number four, Uh, if you're going to take hold of the ownership of this church, we need number four. We need to be courageous in our witness. And I I don't think I need to explain this one to a great extent. Um, If this one makes sense to you, then God is working in that area. Uh, You know why this is here. Uh, If this this one doesn't touch you and it just kind of goes over your head, I could talk about it for 20 minutes, and it's not going to make much difference, okay? So uh, we've got, suffice it to say, let me say that, we've got to find a way to overcome whatever it is that is keeping us from being a witness, a testimony of the grace that God has extended to us through the world. Somehow, some way, you have to find courage in your witness. Uh, if our train is going to be moving down the tracks with any speed, with any consistency, that's got to happen. Number three, and I'll tell you that this number three has weighed heavy on my heart for a, for a couple months now. And uh, I frankly, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I, I struggled with how to explain it. But here's what it says. Compassionate towards our world. In 2009, we need 
We need to be compassionate towards our world. As I think of our church in 2008, and I'll just try and share my heart with you on this. As I think of our church in 2008, it seems to me that we have been working on us. Okay? It seems that our, that our focus, to some degree, to some significant degree, has been on us. It's been just over one year since we moved to this property from the school, and this ministry started here in its permanent location. And um, it, just, it just seems to me in my heart as I, as I evaluate and as I look back on 2008 that we have had this, we have had a, uh, we've had a focus on us. Now let me say, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I believe that that's exactly the way God has intended it to be over the last year, okay? Uh, I believe that's exactly where God wanted us in this last year. But in 2009, uh, I sense a little bit of a shift. In the spiritual direction of our church, I see that we have a need for us as individuals to, uh, here's the picture, to turn our hearts and turn our minds, turn our eyes from solely here to our world. And by our world, I don't mean our world on a large scale as much as I mean your friends, your neighbors, your sphere of influence. There has to be in 2009, there has to be attention given not to the neglect of our attention to Christ, not to the neglect of our attention to the body of Christ, but because of those, there necessarily has to be a turning of our hearts and a turning of our minds, a turning of our attentions to our friends and our neighbors, to our spheres of influence. That's got to happen. Um, to say it another way, um, here's part of my heart on this. God is doing um, some unique and some wonderful things in the hearts of those of you who call Cornerstone home. He's done some amazing things. He's been quietly, for the most part, doing some amazing things in the hearts, in the families, in the relationships of the people here at Cornerstone. And here's, here's my heart. There are, there are countless people in your spheres of influence I'm not talking about in some faraway country. I'm talking about when you leave this place and you go to work and you go to restaurants and you go shopping, etc., and you go walk through your neighborhood with your dog. There are countless numbers of people who need what's going on in this place. Amen? I mean, I sat here in worship this morning just thinking there are, there are people out there who need to be in the presence of, of true, authentic worshipers. And today I'm, I'm putting that onus on you. I'm making sure, it's always been there, but today I'm making sure that in 2009 you understand that as a part of your claiming ownership of this church, you've got to find a way to be more compassionate to the world. There, there's got to be in your heart a, a turning from not just what's going on in your own spiritual life, but towards the attention of what's going on in the spiritual lives 
of those who may be perishing around you. That's got to happen. If our church is going to be successful, if we're going to take that next step, if we're going to get rolling here any faster, okay, whatever that looks like, whatever analogy you want to, you want to, you want to put on that, if that's going to happen, then our hearts and our minds have to be turned towards our world. All right, number two. 2009, uh, and I'll just confess, this is a little stretch just to stick to the C's and the W's and all that, but here it is. We've got to compare our ways. We've got to compare our ways. And I've been wanting to uh, preach an entire message on this one for a couple years now, and uh, I might still do it one day. Uh, but let me just vent my spleen here for a second because this is, this is a significant prayer of mine for our church. Um, and here, here, here it is, bottom line. We've got to be better people in 2009. We, Christians, specifically, you who name Cornerstone as home, you who name Christ as Lord, listen, practically speaking, we've just got to become better people. Christians should be better people than unregenerate men. Is that right? That just makes sense. Is that always true? Unfortunately, it's not. The sad truth is that uh, many of us, many of us know lost men and women who are better people, better friends, better co-workers than our peers in Christ. And man, that is a sad, sad statement. I, I talk to, any time I think about that truth, that unfortunate truth, I think of one friend of mine in particular, a guy I grew up with. He called me on Christmas Day, and um, this guy's not a believer, but I've I've just always been impressed on on what a just what a decent as decent a fallen human can be, but as decent a person this guy is. And I called him back, and we talked on the phone, and I had one of the most pleasant conversations I've had in a long time. Uh, I I really felt that he cared to hear uh, about me. He cared to hear about my family. He cared uh, to hear how my wife was. He cared to hear about my kids. Um, And it struck me as I was talking to him, I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about number two in particular, and I thought, it's sad that uh, I'd rather spend a day with that guy than an unfortunate number of my peers in Christ. And folks, that, that just shouldn't that just shouldn't be. We need to be, we ought to be more kind, more hospitable, more patient, more long suffering, more forgiving, more generous. Amen. We ought to be less bitter. We ought to be less contentious. We ought to be less materialistic. We ought to be more dependable. I'm just talking about practical, real-life stuff right here. We ought to be better friends. We ought to be better neighbors, better employees, better co-workers. We ought to be better, we ought to be better brothers. We ought to be better brother-in-laws. We ought to be better sons.
when we compare or when the world compares our ways to the ways of the uh, fallen, there should be a uh, there should be a marked difference in the quality of people in the church. All right, let me give you the last one. Number one, and this is a, a summary or a culmination of the rest. Number one. We've got to continue in God's will. Continue in God's will. Uh, we have said numerous times here that what we believe to be the biblical will or the biblical purpose for our church is also the biblical purpose or God's will for you individually. You understand that? That, that if we take a bunch of individuals and we put them together, and we, and we say, this is God's will for, for you as individuals, and we put you all together, that necessarily seems to me, biblically, should be the will for us collectively. Amen? It just makes sense. All right? The purpose of Cornerstone Church, uh, many of you have seen it on our information, maybe on the website, you've heard us preach about it, etc. Very simple. We say it like this, to follow the Lord, feed the sheep, and free the world. It is an emphasis on three relationships that we move and live in on a daily basis. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other as believers, our relationship to the church, and our relationship to the lost. Everything we do, everything we, uh, we hopefully say, everything we print, all falls into one of these categories. Frankly, all of the six above could have been placed under one of those three categories. Our relationship to God, our relationship to the body, our relationship to the lost world. So here's the deal. I'm not giving you, for 2009, a new vision. Okay? There are pastors across our country today, around our world today, who are coming up with grand new visions for 2009. Uh, today, here I, I'm just here to tell you, we've got the same vision that we've always had because we think we got it right in the beginning. Not because it was birthed out of our own creativity, but because it was birthed in Scripture. You have a responsibility to grow in righteousness in your relationship to God. You have a responsibility to be a vital, vibrant, active Integral part of the body of Christ. Find your place. And we have a duty and we have a great honor that God has chosen. God has chosen in his wisdom to use us to be a catalyst of grace to the lost world. What a great responsibility. What a great honor that he would use us to be his hands, his feet, and oh yes, also his mouthpiece in a fallen world. To call all men to repentance and faith in Jesus. Uh, so if you are ever confused about where our church is going, if you're fairly new to this place and you're wondering, you know, what are they about? That's what we are primarily and consistently and always to be about. By the way, if you bring an idea of a new ministry, etc., you might want to think through where it fits into our purpose. Is it going to help us in our relationship with God? Is it going to help us in our relationship to each other? Is it going to help us in our relationship to the fallen lost world? I'm going to ask you 
How is it going to help us fulfill the purpose that God has given us as individuals and collectively as a body? So here's number one. We've got to keep doing what God said to do from the beginning. If you want to go home and pray for some new vision for our church, that's fine. But let me just tell you, tried and true, the Bible says these are the things that we as individuals and these are the things that we corporately will stand and move forward upon. Amen? All right. Let me wrap up. Let me give you a few resolutions. Some of you are going to make resolutions here at the end of the year. And um, I have my list of resolutions. I always like to go back. I wish I, I wish I read them more often. But a guy named Jonathan Edwards, an American Puritan who lived in the early 1700s, he had a list of resolutions. Let me read a few of his resolutions to you. Number four was this, and I just chose a few. His fourth one was resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. Nor be nor suffer it if I can avoid it. Number eight, resolve to act in all respects, both speaking and doing as if nobody had been so vile as I. And as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others. And that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself. And prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. His twelfth one was this. Resolved, if I take delight in it as a gratification of pride or vanity or on any such account, immediately to throw it all away. Resolution 25, to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against that thing. His 43rd resolution was this, never henceforward till I die to act as if I were any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. Number 52. He says, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done. Supposing I live to old age. If you need help on what it means to be um, part owner in this thing called Cornerstone, uh, if you feel the prompting that this is the place where God has placed you in ministry, and you feel prompted that you have a part in picking up the, the burden that is this ministry to help take us to the next level, whatever that looks like, uh, and you need more help, uh, as we always say, okay, as we always say, you come and ask us for help in any specific area, you want to know your Bible better, I'll meet with you at 5 o'clock in the morning before you go to work, and I'll teach you more Bible. If you want to know how to evangelize better, uh, Preston's about to start a new group, and, and we'll teach you how to evangelize. Whatever it is you need, as we always say, we will bend over backwards to help you. Um, some of you like to read. There's a book I'm going to put out on the counter, and we can order more of these. It's one of the most succinct books I've found on what it means to be a vital, active, effective church member. I'm going to put this book on the back table. Don't take this one, but grab the title of it. If you want one, let me know. I'll buy it for you. 
If you want to know, if you want to know more specifically, if you want to go further than these seven things on what it means to be to be an effective worker in the kingdom of God in a in a specific local church, then this may be a good help to you. Finally, let me uh, let me just say that I'm excited about 2009. I, I'm so excited about what God's going to do in Cornerstone in 2009. Uh, I've watched as he has worked in some of your individual hearts. I've watched as he's worked in some of your relationships, some of your marriages, some of your relationships with children. I've watched as he's been uh, working. I've watched even as Satan has worked against what God is doing in your own heart and life. Let me just tell you, I feel... And, you know, I'm not going to give you that 2009 is going to be the year of increase for our church. I'm not going to give you any of that nonsense. But here's what I want to say. I feel, um, I feel confident that your labor will not be in vain. I, I feel confident that uh, there will be significant spiritual fruit that comes out of the work that God has been doing in your lives individually continues to do in your lives individually as you stand up under the pressure that Satan has been putting on many of you, I feel confident to tell you that there is going to be some significant spiritual fruit come about in our body as a whole because of your work in your walk. And I I, I want to tell you I'm excited about that. I can't wait to stand here next December and look back at 2009 and look into the crowd at some of your faces and say, you know what, this guy, he took a, he took a real step with the Lord. I can't wait to look out and see us collectively as people and say, you know what, there are better people here than there were last year. Well, let's pray. I'm going to finish with a prayer. It's Jonathan Edwards' prayer with his resolutions. He said it at the beginning Let me end with it. His prayer was this. Being sensible that we are unable to do anything without God's help, we do humbly entreat you by your grace to enable us to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to your will for Christ's sake. I want to invite you if uh, specifically if you're an elder here let's end this year at the altar as we do this last song elders uh, those of you who are here today would you come up join me at the altar uh, for any of you who feel compelled that this is your church home or that it might possibly and officially be your church home in the near future in other words if you feel led to pray for the ministry of this church as we start to roll down the tracks. I invite you to join us here at the altar if you're able, or you can just bow your head there in your chair. Let's finish this year praying that we get better in the next year. Not for the sake of our acceptance, but for the sake of our effectiveness. And ultimately for the glory of God. Hey, He deserves... He deserves our great attention to the success of this ministry in 2009.
But we're going to do one more song. Why don't you stand with us? You can sing where you are. You can pray where you are. If you feel led, come up and pray. Pray this church year out with us.